Let's look today at sometimes I miss the obvious. Sometimes I miss the obvious. There's an annoying advertisement on television for Hotels.com, which features a character called Captain Obvious. He's been around since 2014 and is becoming fairly famous through his somewhat obvious comments and ads for his company. Thus his name, Captain Obvious. Makes you wonder about comments you hear and signs that you see when traveling. You know, the signs that are rather obvious. You know it's cold outside when you go outside and it's cold. Please make sure the elevator is there before stepping in. Wet paint, unless it dried. Caution, water on road during rain. Open the door before entering. Thank you. Do not breathe underwater. Caution, fire is hot. Library is closed until opening time. On a bin of peanuts, this product contains peanuts. And on a milk freezer in the grocery store, a sign that read, this is not an exit. I mean, talk about obvious. Well, it made me think about some of the truths in the scriptures, which are rather obvious, but which we miss because we read the Bible with religious glasses, and we miss the obvious truths. So, sometimes I miss the obvious. We read passages that are familiar, and so just keep reading and thus miss a truth or an insight, because we know the verse, we know the story. We read scripture without thinking through the context of the passage. Who is speaking? To whom are they speaking? What was happening to cause the comment to be spoken? How would these people in that day hear what was being said? Is there something in the culture or the religion of that day that brings more meaning to the passage? Sometimes we read from a place of accumulated experiences, understanding, traditions, religious teachings, all of which cloud our understanding and any new insight that just might be there. We read without asking the author, the Holy Spirit, to give us insight into what we are reading. We read the Bible as part of a discipline. We were taught that every day we should start the day by reading three chapters of the Bible. And sometimes I wonder if Jesus did that. I mean, did Jesus wake up early, stoke the campfire, make a pot of coffee, and then sit quietly to read his Bible? We read without any real understanding of the culture during the time it was written and the ethnicity to whom it was addressed what was going on historically at that time. I mean, we miss the obvious truths in the scriptures because we read it in a way that allows us to miss it. So sometimes I miss the obvious. Years ago, I spent a lot of time studying the temples in the Bible. Moses and the tabernacle in the wilderness, David and his son Solomon and the amazing temple that they built, Herod, Roman ruler of Israel, temple that was built for the Jews by him, and then the third major temple that some believe will be built on the Temple Mound in Jerusalem, where currently there's a very large mosque functioning. It was the in thing at that time to discuss and to argue 
about the potential possible third temple that would be built in Jerusalem when Jesus returns. Recently, I've been thinking about that, thinking about Jesus, and that's a good thing. And I've been thinking about his attitude and approach to the temple and what he said about a possible future temple. So, some general comments. As a child, Jesus was taken to the temple on several occasions that we know of. His dedication, just after he was born, when he was 12 and ended up staying behind when his family left and he's found discussing the scriptures with the elders several days later. He once visited the temple with his disciples and cleared out all those who were, in his mind, misusing its facilities. You know, money changers, those selling animals to offer as a sacrifice. But as I was thinking about it, I realized Jesus did not invite people to attend the temple services, and his own disciples apparently did not attend either. He did not comment and prophesy, sorry, he did comment and prophesy that the temple would be destroyed, which it was in 70 AD. After his resurrection, he again apparently ignored the temple. So now don't miss the obvious. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he was not in the temple. The temple was the central focus of the Jewish religion, the place where you came to be with God and in his presence, the location where you could seek and find forgiveness through offering a sacrifice. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom, he was most often sitting not in the temple, but at someone's kitchen table sharing a meal. In Luke's Gospel alone, there are nearly three dozen references to eating, drinking, and sitting at table. Throughout the third Gospel, Luke's Gospel, Jesus is moving from meal to meal, table to table, house to house. Jesus is constantly announcing and enacting the kingdom of God by a common meal at a shared table. And the most radical aspect of Jesus and his movable feast was his fondness for sharing the table with the wrong people. You know, with the sinners, the outcasts, the excluded. In a culture where table practice was closely associated with personal holiness, this was bound to raise eyebrows. And it did. The scribes and the Pharisees grumbled. Luke 15 verse 1. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus was happy to live up to their criticism. Jesus was clearly willing to share the table with anyone who would come to him. For Jesus, a shared table was the way salvation came to sinners. When Jesus sat at table with Jericho's chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, the meal was not over before the notorious sinner had come to understand salvation. Luke 19, and we're reading verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. He wasn't tall. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it for a time, fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Here's the key. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus was asked, Will only be a few be saved? He responded by saying, People will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. That's Luke 13, verses 23 and 29. For Jesus, salvation could be described as eating in the kingdom of God, and he anticipated all kinds of people from all places coming to his table. In his preaching, in his parables, in his practice, Jesus made it clear that salvation and the kingdom of God are centered not in a temple, but at a table. That was radical. That was revolutionary. The temple compared to the table. Temple is Old Testament. The table is New Testament. The temple is religion. The table is relationships. The temple is God kept at a distance. The table is God up close and personal. The temple is an altar in a temple. The table is a home, a kitchen table. The temple was for the Jews only. The table is for anyone and everyone. Jesus celebrated the Last Supper at a table in the upper room. Jesus made himself known to the two disappointed disciples walking home to Emmaus when they stopped and had a meal together around the table. That's when the revelation of who he was came. Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to them in the upper room where they had gathered to eat, keeping the door locked for fear of being arrested. Jesus revealed himself to Peter and his disciples by cooking fish on an open fire on the beach and sharing a meal together. This is the obvious I had missed for so long. Jesus relocated the Holy of Holies from a veiled chamber reserved for a solitary high priest to a shared table to which all are invited. Jesus overturned money-changing tables in the temple and set up a banqueting table in his Father's house. Prior to Jesus, the Jewish concept of holiness was one of ever smaller and even holier concentric circles. As one moved closer to the Holy of Holies, access became more stricter. The land of Israel was the holy land within the world. Within the land of Israel was the holy city of Jerusalem. Within Jerusalem was the holy temple. Within the temple were increasing levels of holiness with corresponding restrictedness. There was a court for Jews only, where Gentiles were prohibited, a court for men only, where women were prohibited, a court for priests only, where laymen were prohibited, and at last the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter, and only once a year. So holiness was something to be protected from the profane and the secular. But Jesus changed all that. 
Jesus changed the whole concept of kosher. When the unclean touched Jesus, Jesus was not made unclean. Rather, the unclean were made whole. During Jesus' ministry, sinners, the unclean, were given unfettered access to the holiest of all, Jesus himself. What could be more holy than sitting at table and dipping bread in the same bowl with God? In the hospitality of Jesus, we make the unprecedented discovery of the obvious, that God is willing to share his table with anyone, even with sinners, especially with sinners. This fundamentally changes our idea of kosher and holy and church. The Apostle Peter eventually learns to say, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Acts 10.28 For the Christian, the holiest of all, is sharing a meal around a table, the height of which the Lord's Supper, the communion table, where we offer the body and blood of Jesus. Instead of being restricted to a particular place, geography, and limited to a priestly elite, the Christian Holy of Holies can be located anywhere and everywhere that there's a table. The Lord's table bears witness to the new covenant truth that the Holy Land is the whole earth and the chosen people are the human race. During his final week of ministry in Jerusalem, Jesus did two highly significant things. Firstly, he overturned the tables of the money changers and thus shut down the temple, even if only for a brief time. And secondly, he celebrated a major meal with his disciples, which has since become the example for the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, if done properly. The temple is protested while the table is blessed. During the Holy Week leading up to Easter Sunday, Jesus prophesied the demise of the temple and the rise of the temple of the table. Jesus shifts our thinking from temple to table. He prophesies the demise of the temple, and that happened in 70 AD, and the rise of the table, the Lord's Supper. As Jesus sat at the table with his disciples during the Lord's Supper, he told them that he would not drink from the fruit of the vine until he drank it with them anew in the coming kingdom of God. So Matthew 26, 29, in the Passion Translation, says the next time we drink this, I will be with you and we will drink it together with a new understanding in the kingdom realm of my Father. And the new understanding was the switch from the temple to the table. This also explains why Jesus was eager to eat and drink with his disciples after his resurrection. He was celebrating with them the full exposure of the kingdom and the new understanding of the kingdom and the church, centered on the intimate fellowship between believers shared with him, which comes when we sit around the table and eat together. In the book of Acts, Peter described the apostles as those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, Acts 10.41. The risen Christ did not appear at the temple. He appeared at meal tables in the upper room on the road to Emmaus, again in the upper room twice with ten of the apostles and then with Thomas there. He appeared on the beach 
the center of God's activities had shifted. It was no longer the temple, but the table that was the holiest of all. And the church would do well to think of itself not so much as a kind of temple or sacred place, but as a kind of table where we eat and share fellowship. In Acts 2.42, it says they got together every day and shared their meals in common. Religion, most churches today, still see themselves as a temple, and thus they have duplicated the Old Testament style of ministry. They have a priest, they have a pastor the church being a sacred place separate from the world. Only the priest or the pastor can celebrate the Lord's Supper. An altar rail or a raised platform separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the church where the people sit. God is being kept at a distance. The Lord's Supper is for members only. So there was to be a fundamental shift from the temple or the church building to the table. So consider the difference between temple and table again. The temple is exclusive. The table is inclusive. The temple is hierarchical. The temple makes everybody equal. It's equalitarian. The temple is authoritarian. The table is affirming. The temple is upright and status conscious. The table is relaxed and family style. The temple is rigorous enforcement of purity codes the table is a welcome home party celebrating the return of the sinner. The, table is temp the temple is temporal. The table is eternal. The temple is God was a deity in the temple. The table is God is a father at the table. We need to grasp this obvious change that took place with the ministry and the resurrection of Jesus. Because, he says, now many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 8.11. The exclusivity of the temple must give way to the inclusive nature of the kitchen table. The difference between the old temple and the new temple, the table, is like the difference between performing purity rites under the judgmental gaze of, his, of religious gatekeepers and simply sharing food and drink at table with close friends, coffee at Starbucks, a sandwich at Tim Hortons. Instead of the temple method of declaring the outside unclean and restricting their access at the Lord's table, we need to say, hey, pull up a chair, sit with us. We'll make room for you. In the temple, the sacred is preserved by the practice of exclusion, excluding women, Gentiles, sinners, and the unclean, they're kept at a proscribed distance. At the table, the sacred is expressed in the practice of inclusion, receiving the outsider, the stranger, and the unclean, for whom Jesus always makes room. Religion separates life into sacred and secular. Jesus, centering life around the table, sees life as a whole and in itself sacred. So sometimes I miss the obvious because of the familiar. And recently I have been asking the Holy Spirit to remove my religious glasses and to open my spiritual eyes and ears even more. So because of that prayer, and because I'm asking him constantly to open my spiritual ears and eyes and to remove my religious 
traditional glasses, I'm beginning to see the obvious that I'd be missing. So I've been reading much less of the Bible each day and discovering more depth and truth in what I am reading than I've ever discovered before. I've been asking to see as he sees and hear what he is saying through the Word of God, the Bible, as I'm reading. I have been, with his help, tearing down my religious understanding of things, including much of what I have been taught, and regretfully, some of what I have taught others. I have been, for the last several years, praying Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 27 in the message version. Listen to the words and listen to them carefully. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words, one last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase, one last shaking, means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. And in many ways, praying that seems to be working. God has and is answering my prayers. And I invite you to trust our Heavenly Father and pray that same prayer so that you too will no longer miss so much that should be and is obvious.